My name is Megan Kirkbride. I'm an anthropology and film student from UC Santa Cruz. Today is January 14th. January 22nd. January 29th. Today is February 3rd, 2021. I'm in Arcata Community Forest in Arcata, California, and you're listening to Sheltered Spring. myself thinking about how poet Sylvia Plath constituted her work amongst devastating world events. She wrote, My poems do not turn out to be about Hiroshima, but about a child forming itself finger by finger in the dark. They are not about the terrors of mass extinction, but about the bleakness of the moon over a yew tree in a neighboring graveyard. In a sense, these poems are deflections. I do not think they are an escape. So it's almost a year into the pandemic, and though it seems to be coming to a close with a vaccine on the horizon, still, so many of us are grappling with this. How do we deflect from something that has saturated every part of our lives with uncertainty, desolation, and extraordinary loss? Any student will tell you that attempting to focus on academia in the midst of these times feels unreal, to say the least. Many of us are hundreds of miles from campus. We've lost jobs, friends, family members, and our winter quarter began with an attempted insurrection at the nation's capital. And now we're expected to rejoin in-person classes this fall with no news of when we'll be vaccinated. I'd like to think of the topic of this episode as a reminder. Take a second, stop, breathe, and look around. Nearly two hours south of the Oregon border, Arcata is nestled deep in the redwood forest of California. It's 350 miles north of Santa Cruz and over 600 miles north from where I grew up in the Mojave Desert. As far as I can remember, most of my encounters with redwood trees have left me feeling speechless awe. It was one of the deciding factors in going to school in Santa Cruz. So when I moved to Northern California after nine months of being at home after being displaced from campus last March, I was quick to find a second home in the woods. And even better, the community forest was only a few miles from where I live. Every Friday for the past month, I've been exploring the trails the park is a bit of a climb. It's on top of a hill, and once you exit, you can see the entire bay, all the mountains surrounding, and the entire town down below. Not too busy today. I go to the same spot. It's a fallen log just off the entrance of the main path. I sit down, 
and I breathe. One day, I saw a group of children stopped on the trail ahead, and they told me they were looking for salamanders. I started to think about all the life around me that I often took for granted. Writing in my field journal in my sit spot for so many weeks, I became familiar with all the bugs that danced around me, sometimes landing in the middle of the sentences that I wrote. I noticed the geese high in the sky migrating south. Against my boots was thick soil, holding millions of little creatures I would never see but couldn't survive without. And I began to think about how vast and incomprehensible all the fungus around me was. In each cubic inch of soil, there are over eight miles of fungal networks. That's hundreds in every step that we take. Every time we breathe, we take in somewhere between one to ten fungal spores. That's about 10,000 to 20,000 liters every day. The annual spore yield, the equivalent of pollen for fungus, amounts to over 50 megatons each year. This means that not only is fungus the oldest and largest organism on Earth, but it produces the largest source of living air particles on the planet. While the plant kingdom made a cladistic split from animals roughly 1.547 billion years ago, Fungus and animals split closer to 1.538. This means that humans are more closely related to fungus than we are to plants, 9 million years closer. Like us, fungus produces vitamin D when it's exposed to the sun. On a molecular level, humans and fungus are similar enough to benefit from the same biochemical innovations. This is why penicillin, a compound originally found in fungus to defend against bacterial infection, works in us too. According to Marlon Sheldrake's book, Entangled Life, How Fungi Make Our Worlds, Change Our Mind, and Shape Our Future, there are an estimated 2 to 4 million species of fungi. That's around 6 to 10 times as many existing plant species. And by this estimation, we've only discovered about 6% of the world's population. It isn't a surprise to me that my childhood fascination with fungus has re-emerged while in quarantine. In the wake of public health restrictions being lifted far too early, the unending grief of climate change, and of course the devastating isolation of the pandemic, mushrooms give us hope. It's already beyond doubt that fungal solutions are unmatched in the world of medicine. They provide compounds that allow us to transplant organs, fight life-threatening infections. They're used to treat severe mental illnesses and cancer. But fungal textiles may help us now more than ever as we tackle climate change. Sitting on my log in the forest, I was thinking not only of the changes I had witnessed there since the beginning of the pandemic, but changes it had taken years to fully understand. Every year it was getting hotter, the bird songs were becoming fewer, 
Snowfall was becoming increasingly sparse, and still it rained. But not like it used to. I had felt that I had been mourning the earth my entire life, but was now only old enough to comprehend how quickly it was happening around me. Mostly, sitting there, feeling small beneath the towering trees, I felt overwhelming regret. When things had been better, I rarely took the time to appreciate them. How would I feel in five years from now? What would be gone then? The reality is that 2020 was not a cursed year. Catastrophes such as pandemics, wildfires, and record-breaking temperatures are only going to become more frequent and more extreme. Extraction and depletion aren't bugs of capitalism that we can ease over with its inventions. These disasters are intended features of the system. The potential of fungus for replacing and reducing toxic materials is radical and hopeful, but it should also push us to re-examine the fundamental nature of our solutions. To quote Simone de Beauvoir, it is in the knowledge of the genuine conditions of our lives that we must draw our strength to live and our reasons for acting. In this spirit, I wanted to take the opportunity to not lament on what would soon be gone, but actually appreciate my sit spot to the best of my ability. I knew that I wanted to get closer to understanding fungus, but I didn't know where to start. I had never been mushroom hunting, and there are over 750 species of fungus that grow in my county alone. I knew that if I wanted to do this well, I was going to have to ask someone who knew fungus much better than me. In the next episode, I interview Christian Schwarz. He's a mycologist, a teacher, and author of the book Mushrooms of the Redwood Coast. Just for starters, we don't know how to recognize them. Um, I don't think people appreciate how much diversity remains pretty poorly known even right here in our backyards like there are mushrooms that are fairly common that surround us here in california um you know in one of the world's like capitals of of uh academia and sort of tech money and we're just completely ignorant of the organisms that we share the earth with 